Welcome to In the Seams, a podcast by Broken and Mended with your host, David Heflin. Well, hello and welcome back to In the Seams. I am David Heflin with Broken and Mended, and I just want to um, welcome our listeners, whether you're a first time listener, if you are, there's some other episodes you can go back and listen to. I think this is our sixth episode, if I if I remember that correctly. And um, but in, in in any case, we're glad to to have you with us. I've not recorded an episode for over a month. I've been uh, I had a son graduate high school in that time, and went to Canada with our son, my wife and I, on a, uh, a senior trip for him, and and then got COVID. And actually, my wife and son got stuck back in Canada, uh, so it was kind of a wild time for us, and that's why I'd not been uh, able to get out a podcast as, as frequently as I would like, but uh, and I'm glad for us to be able to get started, and I'm especially excited today to have Esther Smith with us. Uh, Esther and I have known each other for, I, I don't know exactly when, but three or four years and kind of uh, got to know each other through social media and through her ministry, uh, which uh, I think I can just, uh, and uh, Esther, it's estermariesmith.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. That's my oh. website right now. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, back when the, back in the, those days, I think it was called life in slow motion or something like that. And um, yes. which I always thought was a, a good description for uh, chronic illness, because it does feel like life in slow, slow motion at, at times. But uh, anyway, Esther was uh, very welcoming uh, to me in the early days as I was trying to get started in a chronic pain, chronic illness ministry and trying to learn everything from uh, the beginning. And I appreciated that encouragement very much. And uh, Esther has spoken to our support group a couple times via Zoom. She lives in Baltimore. So I, and I'm down in here in Northwest Oklahoma. So we've not met in person, but we we've, we've met on a few occasions through uh, means like this. And Esther actually contributed a chapter to our book that we use for uh, our support groups. And so if you're ever in position, either as a participant or a group leader, uh, you may see that Esther has a chapter in our book that has to do with anxiety and chronic illness. And, and that's material from her about uh, some approaches that we can take, very practical approaches. I think one of the things I've always appreciated, Esther, about just kind of the way that you teach is uh, very hands-on. You teach us how to do, uh, you know, the things that uh, help us relax in our bodies and to be uh, a little bit more mentally aware of what's going on and, uh, you know, with breathing techniques and other uh, other things that just can kind of help us calm down sometimes because uh, pain can definitely contribute to uh, so many different uh, mental and emotional issues, which is part of what I wanted to kind of get into uh, with you about. I, Esther has a book coming out on June 22nd, so that's just eight days. And Esther, I'm assuming uh, they can get this at all the normal places on Amazon. And, uh, yeah, you, and yeah. I'm sure you have a publisher website too, I would think. Uh, yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Christian Bookstore, Westminster Bookstore, and the publisher is PNR Publishing. So they should have it listed on their website as well. Okay. And uh, this is called A Still and Quiet Mind, 12 Strategies for Changing Unwanted Thoughts. And, uh, you know, I know Esther, you know, is wanting to, you're wanting to talk about the book to as many people as you can and get word out. From my perspective, it interests me 
because I have learned through experience as anyone that's dealt with chronic illness, you know, has, if they've had to deal with it for a while, uh, that there is more than just the battle of, of the physical pain, uh, that there is, there are times that we struggle with our, our thoughts about it. We can become overly negative at times or overly, um, uh, well, sometimes it just feels, I, I don't know the right word, but the word that comes to my mind is almost fatalistic or, or just self-defeated because we just feel like we can't, you know, we can't overcome how we're feeling. And, and so I, I'm interested in your book. Now your book, just to be clear, if you're a person not with chronic illness, this book speaks to anybody who is a Christian who has unwanted thoughts, which I think is probably all of us. Uh, you know, we all, probably, have, yeah. yeah, we all got, we all got thinking that we need to, to work on in our lives. And this, and this covers a range. Uh, and I appreciate the way that you've have these categories and the very varied, uh, types of thoughts we have. Not all thoughts are sinful that are bad, you know, but some of them are just unwanted because they're anxious thoughts or, or maybe they spring from trauma um, and even, uh, or grief. And I, and I think sometimes grief and chronic illness can be, you know, closely connected because people can be grieving what has been lost because of that. Um, and, and so many uh, different things that, that can come up. So I have a particular interest in it from a perspective of chronic illness, but, um, uh, I do want to just to be clear that anybody can benefit from this book. That is a, uh, I do think it certainly it's written to Christians and devoted mm -hmm. Christians. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do. Yeah. I would say that. Yeah. And so I think anyone that wants to, um, grow in their discipleship could benefit from this book. And, uh, I've had the opportunity to read uh, uh, over half of it. I still got a little ways to, to go in it, but I, it, I got to read an advanced copy. I'm part of a Facebook group where we were invited to do that. So, um, and, and part of that, and this kind of serves that purpose too, I think, you know, is to get to be able to, to promote the book to people. And I'm already promoting it here at my church because I just, I just feel like people uh, really are going to benefit from it. So Esther, thank you for uh, being with us, and we're certainly looking forward uh, for your release of your book. And I wondered if you could just tell us, I think people are usually interested about how such a book came to mind, what the origins of it were, what prompted it for you, and uh, what made you want to write it. Yeah. So the very first time I thought of the beginning concept of this book was actually when someone asked me to speak at a women's conference and they gave me a topic they wanted me to talk about um, taking every thought captive that was like the topic and so as I was preparing for that talk I just really started to think about okay what does this phrase mean what does that actually even mean to take our thoughts captive um, and it really led me on this I guess you could call it a journey or this kind of um yeah, the beginning of a journey of trying to figure out not only what that phrase means, but what it should look like for us as Christians to start that process of changing our thoughts. And one of the things that I started thinking through was just how we have at times simplified that process of changing thoughts where we can give each other advice that it's as simple as oh, you have this one thought and all you need to do is replace it with this other thought, mm -hmm. um, especially if it's a thought from scripture, you just, you just replace it. Um, and it's not that there isn't any truth in that. There is truth in that, that, you know, we should be thinking about our thoughts biblically and taking truth from scripture. Um, 
and um, taking our unwanted thoughts and um, aligning them with scripture. There is truth in that. But what I found is that sometimes when we think about thought change that way is that we avoid thinking about thought change holistically and avoid thinking about how our bodies and our um, our physical health plays into it. And we, um, we avoid thinking about how our emotions play into it and how our stories play into it. And so I wanted to write a book that addressed those different parts of ourself and also addressed how we struggle with different types of thoughts um, and that the origin of our thoughts or the type of thoughts we struggle with is going to make a difference in what strategies are going to be helpful for us. So that a just a mild and anxious thought is going to be very different than a thought that came from a very severe trauma, right? One thought is going to be a little bit easier to deal with where the other is going to be very deep rooted, a thought connected to trauma or a, an intrusive thought that might have some physical component to it. It's going to be more difficult to change than some mild worry. And so how do we approach our thoughts in a way that we take that into account? We take into account the fact that our physical bodies impact our thoughts, our stories impact it, so many things impact it. And so I wanted to kind of address each of those areas in different ways. Okay. And just from my experience in the book already, I can see that you have addressed that from so many different angles and, and causing us to consider what might be contributing. I, I, I noticed you said the word avoid a lot. We avoid things. Do we do that? Is that do we really do that actively or we just, do you think we're just not aware that there's a lot more that plays into our, our, our thoughts uh, than we realize or a little bit of both? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I do, I think you are right. I think a lot of time it is a, in a lack of awareness. So one of the things that played into writing this book was just the experience I had in my counseling sessions of people coming to me with really challenging patterns of thought. And they had tried some of those more simple strategies of like, I'm trying to take this thought captive by reading scripture and um, using scripture to help me, but it's just not working. What is going on? And a lot of times they would find that they were dealing with some more significant, difficult types of thoughts, like intrusive thoughts or thoughts connected to a trauma, kind of like I mentioned. And in those cases, like, yes, definitely, it was this lack of awareness that what they were dealing with was just a little bit more complicated um, than what they were thinking. Well, I, and I should have mentioned, I, you know, you mentioned your counseling sessions. I don't know if I said in my introductory comments what your background is there as a professional counselor mm. um, and also, which is very relevant to our audience. I did allude to this. You are someone who has struggled with chronic illness, a, a fact that you're very transparent about in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's a story that you share, and, and we want people to read the book. So I'm not asking you to rehash the story necessarily. But I, but you share in there about having an experience where you were in a situation where you were hurting so bad, and um, that you wondered if God hated you. I mean, and that's a serious, you know, that's a serious um thought, you know, a, mm -hmm. a different, certainly a, a very difficult one. And I wondered if you think that that's uh, maybe reflecting on people you've talked about or talked to in your counseling, is that a, is that a common thought or are there similar sentiments for Christians struggling with chronic illness and, and what gives rise, rise to that, do you think? Yeah. So one of the reasons I shared that story is it's not for not for shock value, but to make people feel less alone, because I think that we all have thoughts that 
are just very difficult to admit out loud. We all have thoughts where it's just easier to keep them to ourselves because we don't know how people are going to respond if we share that we have had them. Uh, but the reality is that we all walk around <laughs> with thoughts like that at times. We all, not necessarily that specific thought, but we all walk around and at different times, thoughts will pop into our head where we just think, well, you know what? I don't think I'm gonna share with anybody that I thought that. Um, and then what happens is when we all kind of keep that quiet, we all keep that a secret, um, we start to think, oh my goodness, like I'm the only person who must struggle in that way. And the thought starts to feel like a much bigger deal than perhaps it is. Not that that mm. thought wasn't a big deal. Really? It was in a lot of ways it was, but I also knew in that moment that just because that thought popped into my head did not mean that it was true. Sure. And just because that thought popped into my head did not even mean that I believed it. I think that deep down, I didn't even believe it. It was just this thought and it was kind of a shocking thought. It was a significant thought it was in one sense a big deal but in another sense it actually was did not have to be as big of a deal as somebody might think if I had shared that thought with them and they had just been like oh my goodness I can't believe you're thinking that we all just experience thoughts like that at times um, and I think that I know that because as a counselor people share some of those thoughts with me but there's a lot of other people who might be experiencing thoughts like that who feel like they're very alone in it and you know going back to your question of is that a common experience do other people experience similar thoughts I think yes maybe not exactly that same thought but definitely thoughts of feeling like God does not care feeling like God has abandoned them feeling like God has forgotten them that God does not love them or maybe that God loves them but he does not like them those are those are thoughts that I hear people express a lot and they are difficult to say out loud. Um, and I think in terms of where those thoughts come from, uh, honestly, I think a lot of times it happens when our experiences make those thoughts seem and feel true. So the story that I share made me feel the experience that I was in, the pain that I was experiencing, it seemed to support this idea that if God is making me go through this much pain, how it felt in the moment, then he must hate me mm -hmm. um, is the thought that popped into my head. So it kind of came out of my, my experience. And I think that that's very, very common for people is that we have this exp these experiences that don't seem to match um, what scripture says about God and the world and who we are. Um, there's this mystery, there's this confusion, there's this doubt because we're trying to figure out how it matches. And sometimes we find out later how it matches and sometimes we don't, which is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> um, but I do think that, that that is where it comes from, those experiences that don't line up with what scripture says or seem to line up with what scripture says. Right. Well, one thing you mentioned in your book too that is relevant to this is sometimes people's expectations of what should be uh, as a Christian are incorrect because of bad theology, you know, and mm. you talked about the prosperity gospel and, um, and I, it isn't, it has not been my experience because our particular kind of faith tradition I'm from, you know, prosperity gospel, at least in an overt way, is not, is not really a, an, an issue. I think it is on a, a, a deeper level, but not in a, but I, I mean, I've talked to people who have been told that, you know, you have this illness because your faith is insufficient, you know, or mm -hmm. um, you haven't, you know, you haven't trusted God in prayer with this or, or something to that effect. And, um, you know, and that, that can cause people to think when they become ill, uh, if they've had this idea that they should 
not have to experience these things. Um, that's not a scriptural, well, it's a scriptural problem, but not because scripture led them to it. It's because someone has, has taught them bad theology. And that's a point I like to emphasize as much as I can to our, our listeners, because, you know, when, when people do have something like this going on, if they, if they believe um, that their illness means that something is insufficient about uh, their own devotion to God, uh, that that's, that's not from God, that that's a lie, you know, and I think, um, I think we just need to be as, as clear as possible, you know, about that so that people don't, some of the most devoted Christians I've known have had, and maybe because of their illnesses and their suffering has been a part of the reason that has shaped that devotion, uh, but they've been people that have had, you know, chronic illness and, and chronic pain. And so mm-hmm. I appreciated you pointing that out in, in the book as well, um, because I, it can be a little bit of a soapbox for me, but I definitely think the prosperity gospel can do great damage to people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is a little personal to me, this next question, um, but it's a, it's a quote from the book uh, where uh, it really resonated with me, and I wanted to read it here. And it's, it's based on 2 Corinthians 3.18, which I don't have my Bible open, but uh, I know there it's talking about the transformation that we experience when we have unveiled faces for God. And uh, it, um, I used to have that verse memorized. I've, I've let that slip a little bit, but it's a great verse. Anyway, but you said in your book, we are transformed when we stand in God's presence with unveiled faces, with intimacy and vulnerability. One of the, uh, I, I don't know if you've read this book, um, it's by C.S. Lewis called Till We Have Faces. Have you read that, Esther? I have not. I really want to recommend it to uh, to you, um, you know, and other, and I will say, not everyone appreciates that book the way that I did. Um, you know, it's one of those books that is, it's kind of subtle in a way, and some people, um, but to me, the whole theme of the book was about having, being who we truly are before God, and it's told in a different way. It's told in kind of a mythological way, so he doesn't say God. That's what I mean. It's not on the nose hmm. allegory like some of other C.S. Lewis's books are. In fact, he says he, he's basically trying to write a, a mythology that with, with this one, and um, I'm sorry, this is a little bit of a side, but I can't help myself, but, you know, Tolkien uh, said that this was his favorite book that C.S. Lewis ever wrote, you know, because he didn't appreciate allegory very much, and of course, Narnia and all that stuff was, you know, allegory, uh, but anyway, to the point, this idea of unveiled faces, that that book had a, just a profound impact on me, and that's called Till We Have Faces. Um, I I notice this theme in your book overall, not just in one place, not just where I quoted it. This idea of being in God's transforming presence is a big theme. And so I wanted to ask why you emphasize that particular theme so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it definitely was purposeful that I emphasized it. And I think it had, well, not I think, it has a lot to do with the way I feel people's approach to changing their thoughts being very self-focused of I have to try harder I have to if I if I just practice enough times if I just do this long enough and work hard enough that's what I need to be able to do to change my thoughts and it leads to can lead to a lot of um, frustration and guilt and shame when people try very very hard to change their thoughts and it's it's not 
working. Um, and so one of the things that is important to me to get across in the book is the fact that uh, the, the change, the ultimately change is going to come as God works mm-hmm. in us. The change is going to be God working in our minds, in our hearts um, and helping us. And that, that the way that that change happens is not through doing things over and over again. Like it kind of, it kind of goes to this idea of spiritual disciplines and this idea of not being legalistic with our spiritual disciplines. And if I just do this enough times that it's going to lead to change notes, the spiritual disciplines, which really connect to a lot of the practices and strategies that I have in the book, those change us because it's those disciplines bring us before God those disciplines bring us into his presence. We're already in his presence, presence, but they bring us into an awareness of his presence. Mm -hmm. And that's where the change happens. Um, So I I emphasize that because I think that it it relieves some guilt and shame and pressure that people put on themselves of like, oh, I just have to do all this, all these things. And this is all on me. And and we have to be careful because there is this level of self-responsibility where you do have to take steps. But ultimately the change is going to come from God and the change is going to come through some of these disciplines that scripture leads us to, these spiritual disciplines and some of these strategies that I give that happen as we go to God with our thoughts. You mentioned in your book, um, a, a, a book that was impactful to you early on uh, by Brother Lawrence. Um, what was the name of that book? Uh, the Practice of the Presence. Okay. See, that's I know you hadn't recommended it directly to me, but I'm going to take that as a book recommendation because that's one I need to read. Um, I'm not sure I've ever read anything by, by Brother Lawrence, but I, I mean, I've I've heard a lot about, you know, his books and I do think it's important. And I, and I and would say for people with chronic illness too, where everything can seem hard at times to realize that Jesus is inviting us to rest in him. Uh, and that idea of being in his presence itself is is healing that it is uh, healing and comforting and um, and it does take the pressure off of us and so this book really resonates with me that way because I don't think I would respond well to a book that uh, was basically with the tone of well you just need to try harder and more frequently and yes you have to be intentional and I don't think there's there's no way of getting around that if I'm not going to mm-hmm. be intentional about being alone with God ever I'm never going to uh, and you talk about that some in your book you know and in ways that we can do that through the practice of meditation and, and with scripture and prayer um, sure I mean that's that you have to be intentional but that is not a that's not a task as much as it is an invitation to, yes. to experience the rest and healing of God's presence. And we so need that. And it's so difficult to do get that if we're not intentional at some time because of all the different distractions that are in our society. But um, but it did feel like, as I said, invitational and not, not extra pressure. So yeah. I just, and I that was the goal, definitely, that it would feel that way. And I think one of the reasons that's so important is because like, once you get to the last chapter, I talk about those times where there are people who have unwanted thoughts, who have difficult thoughts, where they, they don't get better, right? And that's a, that's a difficult concept. That's a difficult thing because we want to believe that if we try hard enough, if we wait long enough, if we find the right strategies, if we pray enough, then there's always going to be a solution. And the reality is that that is not everybody's experience. Um, And we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that it's not everybody's experience that there will be this change, right? And so 
I think in those situations, it's about, okay, what, where is God in this? What is he doing in this? Even though the change is not coming. And if we can take that pressure off, take that guilt away, that this doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong. It probably doesn't. It's not that you're not taking the right steps. It's, there's something more to it. It might be part of your story that God might be doing something, or there might be something going on that we don't understand that we don't know right now, but like take the pressure off of feeling like, oh, this is my fault or there's something wrong with me because I'm not getting better. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, that emphasis. Uh, another thing that you emphasize is, is lament and the, the importance of that. And that's particularly interesting to me because, and this isn't just related to people with chronic illness, but I, I think Western society, Christians in Western society have been very poor uh, about practicing lament, both corporately as well as individually. And so I'm always interested about, you know, how can we find some ways to restore that practice? Because I think it is just this very rich uh, biblical worship that, that God has given to us again as a grace to us. I I can't remember the percentage of Psalms it was that are lament oriented in some way. I, I want to say it's, it was, it was pretty high. I, I want to say it might've been as high as something like 40%. And, and, you know, I even noticed that a lot of times with our, uh, our worship songs and things, we'll take a Psalm, but we'll take like the first few verses or that, that say something about praising God. And, but then we'll completely, you know, ignore uh, that it was in the context of lament or, mm -hmm. um, and so this is a challenge for us just, and I'm thinking about this as a, you know, for my role as a preacher, but I did want to ask how this practice can be helpful to people struggling with, with chronic illness and pain. What, what does lament allow us to do with that struggle that we would not have if we didn't have lament? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Thinking specific, specifically of people who are struggling with illness and pain, it's definitely such an important practice. And it's like one of the first things when people come to me for counseling related to those types of chronic physical issues is I will ask them like, have you grieved this? Have you mourned this? Have you thought deeply about what you have lost and let that be a big deal? Because I think it's really easy for us to kind of try to move past that too quickly mm -hmm. to pretend that it's not there. Um, and when we try to bury it and move past it, it's going to come out in other ways. It's going to come out in anger. It's going to come out in depression. It's going to come out in bitterness. It's going to come out in our relationships. Like we have to deal with the grief that is there. Um, and now I'm, I'm now I'm losing the rest of your question because this is, I, this is an important topic to me, this in general. I just think it's so important for people to, um, to not gloss over it. Um, and I think like, I, I think you were asking about the importance of it. Like, why is it important? And I think it's important because it's honest. I think that if we ignore the grief that is there, we're just not being honest with ourselves. And we're kind of creating almost this like false reality where everything is fine when it's not fine. So I'm very much a proponent of being honest about where we are, because I don't think we can move forward without that honesty. I, yes. And, you know, again, thinking about this too, from a, uh, I don't know, this is outside the, 
the framework of your book a little bit, but I don't think it's that far of a reach to expand into a concern for our corporate practices and church worship and things, you know, because one of the issues I've really become aware of as, as someone who is a pastor and a preacher, but dealing uh, with chronic illness now, and I didn't have this appreciation before, is that a lot of times people that are sitting in our audience that are literally hurting, uh, if they're even able to be there at all. Of course, now they're mm -hmm. able to participate more through the streaming avenues that have become so much more in vogue since the pandemic. Um, but I do feel like sometimes people do not feel that their pain is acknowledged and they do not feel there is a place for that struggle of pain and even the doubts and things that come with it. Uh, in the way in which that we normally structure our corporate worship. It's, it's like yeah. that. It's like that thought is not welcomed almost or those thoughts. And I think that that's tragic. And, and, it, and a lot of times those people do not see the point uh, in participating in the corporate worship services anymore because they don't feel like they're valued and they don't feel like what they're struggling with is valid. And, um, and, and so uh, I, I, one of the things I hear people sometimes say at communion time, you know, we, we do weekly communion in our faith tradition and, and you'll hear people get up and admonish people to, to kind of empty their brains, you know, and, and we, your book would acknowledge how difficult that is anyway, but, but, you know, this idea of trying not to think of something, uh, but, you know, this idea of, you know, don't, you know, I think they, they'll even use the, the metaphor of leave, leave your burdens at the door. Well, no, that's the wrong message. I feel like, mm. you know, bring your burdens to the throne, uh, bring them to the table of Jesus. And, and to me, that then allows for this presence of God to be in our lives that uh, can actually help us. But if we're just told that we shouldn't even have those thoughts while we're in God's presence, um, I'm preaching. I apologize. I so appreciate this <laughs> yeah. though. I'm like listening and I'm like nodding my head. I'm like, yes, yeah. I appreciate that you are saying this because I think it's I think it's so true. And I want to see more of that in our worship services, like reading scriptures that are sad and that have negative emotions and not just focusing on the ones that are joyful and having worship songs that are songs of lament. I think it's just so rare in our worship services for that to be a part. And I think they should be a part every single week. So this is a little bit of a soapbox for me too. So yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate your thoughts on it. Well, good. Thank you. Yeah. It, and, and obviously it touches a chord with me and I, I appreciate that it is in your book in terms of talking about lament and, uh, one of the other things you mentioned is just how people can get stuck when they, uh, this is a quote, people often get stuck when they treat thoughts that have a physical component as if they are solely spiritual problems. And so uh, maybe a simple way of just asking this is, you know, when someone has chronic illness and they're dealing with a lot of pain, um, what are some things that people might fail to recognize that are actually connected to their chronic illness that they're just attributing to as a spiritual problem. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I can try to give some, I can try to give some examples. So, I mean, one really simple example would be that people with a thyroid issue may experience depression because their thyroid issue is causing depression. Right. Um, so that's like a really simple, in some ways, a simple example, but not always recognized by doctors um, and oftentimes not realized by the person who has that diagnosis. And the reality is that there's a lot of other examples where um, physical illness, chronic illness can be causing or 
contributing to um, different types of difficult thought patterns. Um, there are people who have different types of autoimmune conditions or Lyme's disease or other viruses that really impact their cognition um, that can lead to anything from anxiety to psychosis um, to um, not recognizing reality. Like there, our physical bodies can play into that for sure. Um, so there, I mean, there's too many like small examples for me to, to kind of maybe be that practical for people who are listening. But I think what I would say on a broader level is that it's something that's really important to bring up with both your doctor and um, if you're seeing a counselor to kind of get the perspective from both sides of, could my diagnosis be impacting me in this way? Yeah. Well, I, I know it's maybe a little silly illustration, but I think about the Snickers commercials, you know, where the, the person is some horrendous monster and uh and someone gives them a snickers bar and then you know they turn back into themselves and the, the, the right. little the little tagline is you're not yourself when you're hungry well sometimes we're not ourselves when we're hurting too and okay. i mean i do think we need a lot of grace for ourselves um it's not an excuse just to to go off on people of course but i i do recognize that sometimes there are things that it isn't just about willpower, you know, and like when I'm, when I'm struggling with my mood and I'm struggling with the way, and I'm trying, I'm trying to be engaging, but the, my body's wanting to withdraw uh, because that's the way I do when I'm hurting. I start to pull back and I start to close off, you know, and, um, and I got a family at home and, and I'm trying to think of more constructive ways to address that both for me and for them, um, yeah. you know, so they're not misunderstanding what's happening. But at the same time, I'm not just beating myself up about it as if I chose to to feel that way that day. And, right. And so, yeah. You know, the example that I like that I have thought about before for myself when I think about like, OK, yes, I'm responsible for my pain, but there also needs to be grace is I just think about. So, I mean, I've. I've never given birth before, but I've heard stories and I think about a woman giving birth and a, being in so much pain that she yells at people in the room, right? <laughs> what, I mean, are you going to admonish that woman for no. yelling at people when they're in pain? No, of course not. <laughs> and I think that like, we can just take that analogy and, and think like, there just has to be so much grace for people who are in agony. There has to be so much grace for people who are struggling both physically, but also like our thoughts can be agonizing, right? And I think that that's something that maybe is, can also be missed of, for people who don't struggle with their thoughts to the same extent that as other people, that there are people who are absolutely tormented by their thoughts. It is absolute torture for them. And to think about giving those people so much grace, just like, just as you would a woman who was in labor in terrible pain, like there, that, that may seem like a stretch to make that connection. But if you think about people who are experiencing serious intrusive thoughts, people who have suicidal thoughts where their thoughts are making them want to die, mm. then there has to be so much grace there for yes. people, even as we hold people responsible for their actions. Sure. Well, thank you for, you know, for saying that. That's good too, because it addresses, you know, I'm always thinking not just about those with chronic illness, but those who are trying to love and support people with that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the fan. And so I know if anyone, anyone is listening from that perspective, that's, that's helpful too, to, for them to be reminded of that. 
Um, and and kind of coming close to an end here, I, I did want to ask one thing, though, and we actually talked about it a little bit early on about spiritual disciplines, prayer, meditation, uh, obviously, you and I'm and I'm not going to lay out you know, the, uh, the very good job that you do talking about how to meditate meditation exercises and prayer exercises that you give, uh, here, they're great. And people need to read the, you know, read the book, but I did want to address maybe one issue that could be particular to people that are struggling with, um, with pain and even depression. Um, because part of what you're dealing with there is sometimes people are already feeling defeated, uh, by their pain and their, their mindset. Um, how can they take a step forward in this journey when they have those self-defeating feelings like this is going to be too hard to do or, or I'm not going to be able to concentrate on on meditating because I'm hurting or, you know, I mean, what? how mm -hmm. do people take at least baby steps to help them start to be in God's presence in that situation? Yeah, so I'll try to be really practical, get some really practical ideas. First, I just want to acknowledge that that is a very difficult thing for a lot of people, and that does happen. Uh, meditation is difficult for everybody. So if you're trying to start meditating or try some of these practices, it's good to go into it knowing that it's going to be difficult and you will struggle to concentrate. Everybody does. And then it's even harder if you're dealing with a lot of pain or depression. So a couple of things that I suggest, probably the number one thing is to use an app. Like that's the number one practical thing that I can suggest is that don't don't try to meditate just from reading what I have written in the book or from wherever else you've learned about meditation. It's so much more difficult to just meditate on your own than if someone is leading you through it. So to use either an app or honestly, this is one of the reasons why. So I teach meditation classes and Christian meditation classes. And that that's really why what you're asking is why, because I help lead people through it instead of them having to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's not about teaching fancy or new techniques. It's just about, let me help guide you through this because it's difficult to concentrate. It's difficult to set aside time for this. So let's do it together in community. That's another aspect of it, doing it with other people, having accountability, having help, having people to encourage you. Um, so like if I was going to sum it up to say, don't try to do it on your own. Get help from either an app, from a person, from a class, from a group, um, from somewhere where you're not just trying to like buckle buckle through. I, I did not say that right, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and do it on your own. Sure. Well, yeah. And I, and I, you know, shameless plug for what we're trying to do with Broken and Mended, I think is to help people not feel alone. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that, that we have, you know, support groups that are available and, um, and we're going to be looking at some new ways to form those support groups. So far, it, it's been mainly kind of our, our Woodward group. And then everyone plugged into that via Zoom and Facebook on our group page. And um, we do have another group that's meeting out in Florida, but but we really, I, I want to be able to organize groups that meet at different times. And most, a lot of these are going to be virtual, I think. And I, um, and I, and I think that has become, people are more used to that than they used to be. I think that's so we, true. Yeah. And I think that's going to help yeah. as we're trying to move forward and adapt to this kind of somewhat post, not really post pandemic, but living with the pandemic anyway, going forward. And, um, but that, that's, that, that's maybe one good thing that could have came out of it is we get a little bit more used to, to meeting people virtually. Uh, but that's part of what we're wanting to do is just people not, uh, help them not be alone 
and then perhaps it'll give us opportunity. I could even see us doing something like reading a book like this uh, together as a group and coming back and talking. If a support group did that, that would be uh, something that would bless them. And so, but just not feeling alone is a huge, huge deal. Um, well, I, I don't have any additional questions and we've talked a while. I didn't want to make mention just so other people know, and I'm gonna make sure. Um, so on your website, I'm gonna put this in the show notes so people in, under the description, they can see uh, they can see where your website is. Um, is. Is everything on your website, Esther? Like if people wanna check out uh, information about your classes, uh, you know, obviously your books are listed there. Um, yeah, most everything is there on estermariesmith.com, mm -hmm. I think. But I also, so my counseling practice is called Christian Trauma Counseling. You can find us at christiantraumacounseling.com. And there's more information about the meditation classes and also about counseling services there if you're looking for a counselor. Okay, I will put that uh, as well, that website. I'd like to, uh, I'd like people to know that you have written uh, books that are particular to people with chronic illness and that struggle. Um, uh, one of them is called Chronic Illness Walking by Faith. I believe that's the same publisher. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And and I've read that, and that is a blessing. It's a 31 day devotional, so you can go through it in a month, and it's a, a time that maybe you really need some encouragement. Um, I highly recommend that that book. We have given it to some of our broken and mended members. Um, so what's the whole life about? I've not read that one, uh, Esther. So I, I need to, but um, it says 52 weeks of biblical self care. Yeah, so that's one that I wrote with my friend Eliza Huey, and it is about self-care. It's about a biblical basis for self-care, kind of building that foundation of why we practice self-care. We take care of our ourselves in, because it helps us take care of other people. Um, and then just, again, a very practical resource, I hope, where each week we talk about a different self-care topic and what it looks like to take care of different parts of ourselves, of our a similar theme, right? Take care of our bodies, our minds, our souls, our relationships, our emotions. Um, so hopefully just a helpful guide over the course of a year. And did that come out last year? Yeah, last okay. July. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you uh, are, are uh, getting a, a lot of good stuff out there for people. And so I'll make sure the links and everything are available in the, the show description. So I just want to, again, thank you for being with us. I, I know we've talked a little longer than I indicated. I, I sometimes uh, it just takes a little longer to talk about important things. But I thank you so much, Esther. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yes. And for uh, our listeners, just want to say uh, that we're glad that uh, you were able to join us again and would look forward to being back together in the near future.